Hello, welcome to the Radiate Podcast. We're here to connect, encourage, and empower you to radiate the message of Jesus to yourself, your neighbors, and the world. I'm your host, Steve Presswood. Today I'm visiting on the phone with my Radiate Podcast guest, John Kelsey. John, welcome to the program. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. John is a really good friend of mine. For the remainder of the interview, I'll refer to him, as most people do, by the nickname Kells. Kells was on staff at the OUBSU, the Baptist Student Union, at the University of Oklahoma in Norman for 18 years and directed it for 12 of those years. Kells, let me just ask you to bring us up to date with uh, what else you've been doing since your days of directing the BCM. Well, thank you, Steve, and thank you for calling me by my nickname, Kels. That came about when I was in the fourth grade. My teacher started calling me misdemeanor, and I didn't know what that word meant, but after I looked it up, I knew that I needed a different name. So uh, Kels came uh, not a moment too soon. So, yes, I loved my time at the BSU. It was very special. And in 2016, the Lord called my wife, Jen, and I away to join the Navigators. And it was just a remarkable time after spending overall 19 years in campus ministry. As you know, having so many of our college students leave OU and go to the four corners of the earth, and then hearing later some of them who had been doing so well, you know, in Norman, but then for different reasons, struggling, maybe with walking with God, struggling with the vision of intentional disciple-making, we thought, you know, we want to help them. But every August, there's 4,000 more freshmen showing up at OU. And we're not reaching them like we want. How can we continue to make sure that these men and women who we've given such a significant portion of our life to, now they're alumni, how can we continue to help them grow and walk with God as parents, as 20s, as 30s? So we had heard about the Navigators and their initiative with 20s. And as we were getting older, it just seemed like a good time. The Lord spoke clearly to us. So we joined the Navigators as staff working specifically with 20s. And these are men and women that are coming out of the military, coming off the college campus, men and women that maybe weren't even in the university at all, and just trying to help them really walk with God in the workplace predominantly, maybe in graduate school. And what does that look like in that context? Great. Well, you had a brush with death a few years back. I'd like to hear what that was like for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Oh, boy. Yeah, you talk about a mess. Um, You know, Steve and many of our friends uh, know that my wife has had chronic health issues going back to a serious car accident when we'd been married for six months and we were living in Fort Worth. So I have functioned as a a caregiver to Jen since we were 23. Hmm. But uh, fast forward to 2014 and I'm 42 years old and I had a multi, um, it's called a multi-bilateral pulmonary embolism. And it was, uh, they called it massive. So I had 15 large, blood clots in both lungs, and my pulmonary artery was almost blocked. They said I should have died. I'm, I'm not sure how I survived outside of just the grace of the Lord. 
And I was in ICU for a while. Many people were praying. I know you were, and God spared my life. And I, I've not been the same since. Hmm. It has affected me physically. Even my voice now is just not as strong. And I seem to have to fight more for air. But it, it affected me spiritually in a profound way and emotionally. Uh, my personality is different. And, you know, laying there in that hospital bed at Norman Regional, you know, the Lord spoke to me. And you have a chance to really slow down for the first time and really think through, you know, what am I doing and my marriage and my family. And I was so happy at OU. It was a dream come true to make disciples there on campus with the BSU. But I felt like I didn't know how much longer I had. I felt like the Lord had given me an extension on my life. And I thought, well, whether I have a day or another 50 years, I wanted to give it uh, with no holds barred, reckless abandon to, to really making a difference, reaching people that are harder to reach, making disciples in more difficult areas within the kingdom. And I could have never dreamed I'd be on staff with the Navigators. But, you know, I, here I am now six years later as a Navigator, as a chaplain at Hobby Lobby, doing things, working in areas that um, honestly are more in line with what I was doing when I graduated from OU. We were preparing to go overseas as missionaries to Central Asia. But as I'd mentioned, that car accident with Jen changed all of that. And I felt like that the Lord worked through that injury, which, again, he allowed that. He didn't cause that. I think he worked through that to maybe bring us back to working and living now more as missionaries, working more on the margins with people, fulfilling our calling as disciple makers now in our late 40s. And it's it's been hard and difficult, but absolutely beautiful. And we've seen a side of the Lord that has been precious to us. Let me press a little bit into this uh, question that uh, I asked about how it affected you emotionally. And primarily I ask this because I feel like, and listen to me talk, I feel like uh, men, I think, have a hard time expressing emotions, uh, identifying emotions, and uh, and coming to grips with how those kinds of of impressions affect us. And um, uh, just tell me a little more about uh, what you felt during that time and uh, how you've dealt with it and uh, what you think might have come out of that that are positives, maybe even in negatives. Yeah, I, I've always been more of a reserved person and quiet. And I think that part of me is, is just as true as ever before. But there was a sense of... Um, and I think, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. There's no bad actor. But leading a ministry like the OUBSU, that is a historic ministry. That's a landmark ministry. That is a flagship ministry for for working with college students. And just by nature to that, there's so much pressure. And many much of that I had directed upon myself. That wasn't from anyone. And I would press. And I was a workaholic. I, I averaged 70-hour weeks for years. And I would expect that of my staff. And I would expect a similar work ethic of our upperclassmen leaders. And I think, you know, having the Lord kind of push a big pause button in my life because of that physical, you know, event of those uh, blood clots, you know, I felt like it was a return to Psalm 1611, you know, where you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And, you know, Steve, it, I know that. I'm, I've known that verse since college, but 
I think I'm able to live out of that reality now. Whereas before, I love to work. I, I love to be busy. But I think the last six years have been, well, you know, Third John 4, when Jesus said, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And, you know, the last six years have just been the joy of just walking in the truth of God. Whether I work, whether I don't work, whether it's seven hours a week, whether it's seven minutes, it's just being in the presence of Jesus. I, somewhere along the way, I think um, it's easy to lose sight of that hmm. and just work to work. Yeah. I've seen myself in a similar boat. I feel like the um, attitudes that we develop, sometimes we do unwittingly. Right. Uh, obviously, culture uh, may push some men to become workaholics. Uh, certainly, every encouragement uh, is there from the uh, uh, from the business world to try to get a man to put as many hours as he will into his work. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, you could hardly uh, say that the ministry world demands that. Uh, but we certainly have sometimes put that on ourselves. Thank you for those insights. It's really good to hear those. Glad to hear too that you feel like you've gotten a, a little bit of a better balance in your life now. Thank you. I'm hoping. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Give me any big takeaways outside of what we may have already said. Are there a couple of things that you would say that experience led you to see that you have really implemented as a different approach to life, a different approach to work, a different approach to ministry, different approach to self or to God or anything else? Yes. I, uh, gosh, I am so committed to intentional disciple making. And again, unwittingly, it was no one um, did this to me, said this to me. I, I was I was doing this myself. I I had overemphasized disciple making, if that's possible. Can a navigator say that? Can an oh, OU, yeah, you know, can an OUBSU alumni say that? Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think uh, disciple making has a has a place in, in the kingdom and within a relationship with Jesus, but it's not. It is not the utmost priority. And so I would say since then, I've, I've re, re-sorted my values. I've recategorized values. It's not just work-life balance. It's the way I approach my walk with God, my marriage, the way I parent my son, Josiah. I loved the staff, the team that I led at the BSU. They're precious and such wonderful people. I know I was a, a hard driver. I know I could have, I, I pressed a lot. And I can still come across that way now. But I, I just think I see disciple making in a more of a, a broader context. It isn't the end all be all. It's not the focus. I used to say that's the reason why we're still here. Well, it is a big part of why we're here. But there's, there's just so many other things in the kingdom. And I hope that my wife and I um, exhibit more of a holistic approach mm. to life to life disciple making. And that people would see us in, in more of a balance. I, I, I think I realized that if someone was trying to model their life after mine, you know, we talk about the wheel illustration, right? That classic, um, beautiful uh, word picture that Dawes used to help teach what it, what it looked like to really walk with God and, and to live a life that counted. And we'd always talk about, right, as navigators, you don't want your wheel to be out around, right? Mm. Well, I think even as a disciple maker, your wheel can be out around and and so I, I hope that now my philosophy of ministry is more in round now than maybe it was before. 
just in keeping with, you know, um, a life purpose and a philosophy of ministry of evangelism, yes. Disciple making, yes. Intake of the word and Bible study, sure. Prayer, yes. And obedience to Christ and keeping Jesus as the center. But, you know, rest and spending time with my son and um, having a hobby and, you know, spending time with friends and there's not a spiritual agenda behind that. Um, just, just things that maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to do because I know there's always someone going to hell nearby. And I, I want to help affect that by, by my obedience to Christ. And, you know, there's just no end to that. You can go in your mind so far and you're just, you're always playing catch up and just resting in the promises of God and being obedient and, and serving him as best I can and trusting him and realizing I'm a part of a much bigger team than I think before I realized. So I can go on and on, but there's just a freedom I think I found in really trusting God at his word and, 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 and seeing my place within the body of Christ. Mm. Thank you. Let me move us now from some of the more personal things in your life to something that begins to get at this idea of disciple making. And you're right. I think that we can put it as an exclusive kind of focus that misses the bigger picture. But my purpose in the Radiate podcasts is to talk to practitioners so that those who are in the business of starting to either walk with Jesus as a disciple or who are trying to uh, propagate that work in others, help them to also become disciples, so become disciple makers themselves. Right. People who are practitioners of those two things, I, I like to get their insights, and I feel like uh, this is where I want us to be in our Radiate podcast. So you've got a wealth of experience, both in being a disciple and in making disciples. And I'd like for you to reflect with me about some of your experiences let me start with your experience in being a disciple, of walking with Jesus. What would you say has kept you pressing toward the goal? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, back then, that, and that really came for me at the age of 19. I had a lot of information prior to that, but I wasn't in any way acting on it. Uh, I was conscious at age 19 and then turning 20 of uh, just how how ugly my sin was before God. And, and I was really driven, I think, at that time in life to want to make a wrong right. I spent quite a bit of time. I remember going to people I'd wronged, even physically getting on my knees and asking for forgiveness. And when I would do that, I just felt lighter and lighter. I was hungry for the Word of God. So there was just this natural uh, pursuit of the Lord that I think that was his grace being manifest in me really for the first time and a desire to know the things of God and pursue them. That feeling, for lack of a better word, can come and go. <laughs> what really sustained the pursuit on into being 21, 22, 23 was that there were some key men that the Lord raised up in my life. Um, and I'm so thankful for my family. But when in Norman, there was a, an upperclassman a couple years older than me that, that really loved me and it wasn't so much the content, you know, the things we did in Bible study. He, he was really good in basketball, and he loved softball, and I was a sports nut. I played every intramural sport you could play at OU. That's probably why my grades weren't that good. And this guy was out there with me, playing ball with me, playing catch, and he was fun. He was a guy I wanted to be around. He would help me. I would check his verses. He'd talk about his quiet times. There was a purity of heart with Curtis Ivanoff. 
and he really let me in and he was vulnerable with me. I think that was really remarkable. I hadn't seen a lot of men, particularly my age, that were just really vulnerable about their fears, about things they didn't do right. Most people I felt like were hiding something and always had to have it, have it together. And so that just really challenged me. I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be that kind of a Christian guy. And he was just two years older than me. So it was real. He wasn't up on some pedestal or far away. He was a reachable goal for me. And he lived in my dorm. So I could be around him all the time, Steve. Hmm. So I think that really helped me in my initial experiences as a disciple of a life-to-life transfer Hmm. for me. When you look at your history of following Christ, what would you say has been the hardest thing for you about doing so? Yeah, you know, I think the Lord, praise God, you know, he delivered me from some dark things and some ugly sin patterns. Mm. But, you know, uh, we're still on this side of heaven, aren't we, brother? Tight over yet. Yeah, that's right. They talk about they talk about muscle memory. You get injured and or you're trying to, you know, adopt an exercise regimen. And so our sin has a muscle memory, our flesh. And so there's just some age old, maybe it's even genetic. Maybe it's part of a, a family line for me. Of just, you know, a lack of humility, even, you know, a buried deep down, a lack of confidence about certain things that have been hard for me, that's kind of nag at me, bite at my heels, that want to pull me back into a flesh pattern that would really short circuit me from walking with the Lord and being the disciple he wants me to be. And of course, then not being able to make disciples in the way that the Lord Jesus wants me to, Steve. So I'd say for sure those two things. So you're, you're talking about pride, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 A pride problem. Sure. Well, it must be outside of your own genetic line because <laughs> I've seen it in mine too. So conversely, what's been the most rewarding thing for you about following Christ? I'd, I'd say two things, internal and external. Internal, man, it is not a Sunday school answer. The deep <laughs> abiding love of Jesus. I struggled with that for different reasons. Some were absolutely uh, as a result of my rebellion. Others were things that were out of my control. But coming out of my childhood, coming into OU as a student, I I really felt unloved. I really struggled with that. I, I grew up in church and I would stand there at church as a kid or at the BSU as a student and everybody be singing. And I felt like, man, every person in this room is is hearing from God, experiencing God. But I'm in this room and I, I, I don't see him. I don't hear him. He's not here for me. And, and even after I came to know the Lord, I really struggled with experiencing that for me, that Jesus was here for everybody else in the room, but he wasn't here for me. I know that's crazy. And, and I knew intellectually. Well, yeah, but how common is that? I don't think you're the only person thinking that in the room. No, that's right. Well, I think a lot of people feel that way. But I was deeply, intimately real for me. Mm. But man, I know, I know that I know. I have experienced the deep abiding love of Jesus for me and that he speaks that over me. Oh, that's so powerful. I, there's not words to describe that. I'm so thankful for that every day. And then externally, the most rewarding relationships. I'd always been a guy that had a lot of friends. Even when I was acting out a big horse's rear, I still had a lot of friends. But I think the relationships, Steve, since I really got right with Jesus and walking with him, you know, my best friend in the world, I named my son after him. Um, the best friends of, you know, for my wife and 
the people we go on vacation with, the, the people that I, I spend time with, without exception, connected to the disciple-making journey that I've been on and my wife's been on. And, you know, it's true, right? When you pursue the Lord, the fathers and the mothers and the brothers and the sisters that we receive as a gift in the family of God have been absolutely true. And I've been able to go all around the world two or three times, the experiences, the places, the things I've been able to do, the opportunities as a direct result of being able to walk with God. Mm. Wow. You know, some poor little kid from Sepulpa, Oklahoma, and the things I've seen, the things I've done, and the people I've been able to do that with, that's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Thanks. Because of your ministry work with students and 20s over a couple of decades, I think you've had a unique vantage point. What are a couple of the reasons that young people struggle to maintain a vibrant walk with the Lord? So we've talked about your walk. Extend this out to what you've seen right. for why others struggle. And most of what you've done has been to work with young people, those in college, those in their 20s. Uh, so what do you think uh, you've seen that caused most young people to struggle to maintain a vibrant walk with the Lord? Absolutely. Uh, I'll go back to what I was mentioning a minute ago. I think there's four main reasons why young people really struggle in their walk with God. Uh, is, one is a lack of vision. They just don't see, they don't understand God's purpose for their life. They don't have a real biblical understanding of who they are in Christ. They don't have a biblical understanding of who God is. So just a lack of vision. And then, like I mentioned, for me, a lack of confidence. Uh, so many people just, they struggle with confidence. A lack of effort, particularly for guys. And there's a real problem with laziness, you know? And people don't know how to work. They know how to work hard. And then a lack of humility. Oh, man, good grief, right? Just a, a, a rampant pride problem for both men and women. And isn't, isn't it amazing when you think of someone like yourself, like me, where you're struggling to know whether or not you're making it uh, and you, you need you lack confidence, and yet here you are displaying a kind of pride that makes it look like you've got it all together. What a combination. That's right. That's right. It's a double whammy, Steve. And, you know, James 4.14, right? Yeah, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Yeah, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And these college students, these 20s, these 30s, they're living out of James 4.14. You know, they really think, well, I'll figure this out tomorrow, next week or next month, when I get married, when I settle down. But they, they don't have the time. And they need, to making, they need to be making those decisions now. They really need to make those decisions yesterday so that... They can be the person they want to be in their 30s and in their 40s. You know, I know that type of transformation doesn't happen in a week or a month. It, it takes decades to instill a work ethic and integrity and godly character. Those type of rooting out those old flesh patterns and instilling the word of God and that fashioning of the spirit man, and doing that in community, that ain't, that ain't a quick fix. And so I think these young people struggle because they're out there living the life of Riley. You know, Max used to say, you all want to sow your wild oats and then later you want to pray for crop failure. You know, we all want to go out there and have a great time now. And then when it really counts, we want to be able to say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, that didn't work. We, we got to walk as Jesus walked now. So then when it's on the line, we can respond as Jesus would. 
And I think that's really hard to have that, to live in light of that perspective and have those kind of convictions in your 20s and in your 30s. Because this is a tough season with a new job, career, a marriage, a baby on the way, a mortgage, so many things. And maybe you've moved to a new city and and your time is not your own. You're low on the totem pole at work and you're tired all the time. And you're going to really work on your walk with God. It's tough. It is really, really tough. But you've got to make decisions now you wish you would have made 20 years from now. Start early. That's right. Yeah, it really hardly matters where you are in life. I think if you say, I'm going to do it later, you've already made a mistake. Uh, Don't let anything stop you. Do it now. That's right. That's right. Well, this is a little bit of a strange question because I feel like they're so linked that you almost can't separate them. Yet, uh, I feel like there are some people that uh, we might look at that you perhaps know that you feel like you're still engaged in their faith, yeah. but yet they've struggled to be at this next level, reproducing disciples. Yeah. Maybe they're doing okay in their own personal walk, mm-hmm. we might say, and yet somehow they're struggling to, to take that next step and to help others walk as they walk. Right. What do you think are some of the reasons why that is happening? Yeah, I might need to, I might have to tread a little softly here. Um, I see that a lot. And I think there's a few reasons. One is, unfortunately, just uh, the culture of the American church. And I'm not pointing fingers at any particular church or denomination, but just overall, we've done things down so much, Steve, that in so many places of worship, if you just go in and sit down and not cause problems and just show up, you're doing great. And if you stick around long enough, you know, you'll be given leadership opportunities. And, and so there's not a lot of training that goes on in so many places. And I know of these alumni from BSUs, from NAV Ministries, where, you know, they're being rewarded for showing up. And, and these are men and women. You've trained them. I've trained them. I mean, they're Green Berets. I mean, they, they have got skill sets that would rival the staff at the church, but they're not being challenged. And there's not an opportunity for them within the existing structure or the culture to to really use those skills. So they try to function respectfully, but they try to meet with people, you know, outside of church, you know, before work, after work. And I know sometimes they get called on the carpet, they're seen as a threat, or people don't understand what they're doing, or it looks like it's subversive. And they, they don't want to do that. I mean, they're trying to help. And so they pull back and they wait And then it's just a war of attrition. You know, they, over time, they just conform and they just go with the flow. I know that, I know a lot of stories like that. And so do you. I know of others where, man, they hit it hard and they really try to start making disciples when they, when they move off and they start their families and they're in their career. But the people they're trying to disciple didn't come out of the same types of ministries that you and I lead. And so these younger disciples don't know how to be a disciple and they're flaky and They've not been coached on how to be a disciple. And so that disciple maker gets discouraged because they've tried to meet with three or four different couples or people. And it's been a succession of people bailing on them. So that disciple maker thinks, well, what's wrong with me? Maybe I can't do this. And they get discouraged and they quit. And then back to what I just said a minute ago, nobody else around them is doing it anyway. So who cares? Maybe I just ought to just show up and not cause problems. And maybe maybe that vision for intentional disciple making only worked in college or only worked in that nav environment that I was in. And it really doesn't apply in this situation where I am now. 
I uh, appreciate those thoughts, and they are challenging to hear. And I think neither you nor I would wish to throw the church, Jesus uh, being the head of. We don't want to throw it under the bus. We Not at all. Like, you know, Jesus Church is going to outlast everything. Uh, all the other institutions will pass, and it will stand. Sure. But I think uh, we, we do somehow conflate whatever is going on in our local brick-and-mortar uh, building as uh, necessarily the thing that is what Jesus had in mind, and it may not be. And I think it's it's certainly okay for us to ask the questions and see if we can figure out how do we copy what Jesus seemed to be about during his time on earth. One more question, I think, before we finish up. What are some of the common reasons you see that young people struggle to either labor in the harvest field, as Jesus described it at the end of Matthew 9, or to be effective disciple makers? So I know we've probably covered some of that in the last question, but I'm not asking this one slightly different. Let me just say it again. What are some of the common reasons that young people struggle to either labor in the harvest field, as Jesus describes it at the end of chapter 9 of Matthew, or they struggle to be effective disciple makers? I think one reason is they try to do it alone. And you and I preach this till we're blue in the face. And I know it's an idealistic thing to say, but instead of taking the best paying job, really, 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 really 20s, college grad, what if you found the best community that was centered around a great local church and a great ministry that was committed to disciple making? What if you found that first and then found a job within your career trajectory, and you went there and planted and put down some roots and stayed. Because the stories that I hear that typically are negative of someone in their 20s was that they took the great job that was paid well, and they just knew they could find a church or a, a disciple maker or a nab somewhere nearby, and they'd be okay. And, and that does Sometimes the lightning will strike just the way they want and it works out, but so many times it doesn't and they're alone. And they went from an environment where they had a lot of support and people checking up on them and people being intentional towards them. And then within just a few months, they're in an environment where nobody's being intentional with them. And, and they're, they are on their own. I mean, on their own. So I would say, go seek that community where they can continue their training and then find a way to earn a living and grow. And that's a big part of it, so much so. And there are some wonderful churches. Uh, I, I'm biased. I think the church I go to now is a tremendous disciple-making church. So they're out there. You just have to go look for them. And then I would say this is on uh, on the 20s or on the 30s or that college grad. you got to go out and develop some biblical convictions. I mean, we're at war. You and I do, too. Everything is going against us in this culture. Okay? You're going to stand out. If you live out a biblical worldview at work, you're going to stand out if you want to be a disciple maker within the local church, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, because everybody else is addicted to Netflix. Everybody else is consuming, you know, the, the latest Cardi B song. Everybody else is gaming every chance they get. And if you really want to pursue the Lord in the way you want and grow and, and stay with your scripture memory and disciple guys before work. And you, you can't do that and do that well in community and do all that other stuff too. I mean, something's going to have to give. You got to learn to say no to some things. I've got a, a, a former student, a guy I really admire, really look up to. He told me he doesn't really have a hobby. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't do a lot of things. 
so that he can really disciple men. He has fun, but he, he just doesn't have a lot of extracurricular activities so that he can really be the husband and father he needs to be. And he can really have a ministry to other business people because he's a businessman. And so much of that is centered around work. And I know that for you, before you became, uh, you know, navigator staff, Steve, so much of your ministry was centered around those other engineers. Mm-hmm. And so you had to say no to some things, Steve, to do that. So, you know, you gotta, you've got to make some decisions, say no to some things, and really develop some convictions. And I think it's on one-on-one. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not fast its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I'll know no evil. That, that's a tough verse. Well, you don't want to memorize that one, you know, <laughs> unless you want the Holy Spirit to start working on you about it. Yeah. So what does that look like in, in 2020, you know? Well, great perspectives. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. What a joy to have you on the Radiate Podcast program and to get your... Uh, insightful perspectives. Thanks for joining me today. It's really been good to hear from you and to spend time with you as always, Kels. Thank you. You too, Steve. You're a dear friend and I always look forward to spending time with you, brother. Well, I look forward to the next time we see each other. Until then, help me finish that sentence, will you, Kels? Bye, Condios. Go with God. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Radiate. You can continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect to us online at osunavs.org and on Instagram at osunavs. See you next time, and until then, keep radiating the message of Jesus.